Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. In today's podcast, we feature an episode from Ask a Painter Live with Nick Slavik. In this episode, Nick talks with Eric Fishnot from Pathfinder Marketing about the experience he had visiting PCA's 2022 Expo and the benefits from networking there. All right, good morning, everybody. I'm Nick Slavic. I'm the proprietor of the Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company. I'm also the host of this show, Ask a Painter Live. It's a weekly live Facebook show where I use my almost three decades of experience as a master craftsperson and a paint business entrepreneur to answer any questions. Um, we have Eric, my friend here as a guest today, uh, one of those marketing types that we like to give a hard time to. So we're going to shake him down today. Uh, but before that, we do need to mention uh, the PCA. And we're taking a little different uh, way of mentioning it today because you and I were just at the expo. And I would assume, Eric, that that was your first expo with the PCA. It was. Yeah, it was incredible. Give me some impressions, man. What'd you think? I loved it. Um, I loved every part of it, right? Um you know, essentially it was the best of the best painters all coming together uh, to mastermind and help each other grow, which, uh, you know, I think a lot of times when you see in the online communities and stuff, sometimes we think that doesn't exist. Uh, <laughs> but you have, you know, 600 of the best painters that are all hungry, want to grow, want to help each other, want to share ideas. Um, it was incredible. Um, you know, we certainly learned a lot of stuff, got to meet a lot of our clients there. Um, you know, got to hang out with you and Tanner and, yeah. and Jason and a bunch of guys again. So it was it was an incredible weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what was fun about it is, you know, obviously great place couldn't have been more professionally set up because people kind of take for granted that bringing 600 people in a trade show, educate education sessions, meals, lodging. It, and, and it was from step to step to step couldn't have been more professionally run that set the standard for some great conversations. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I got a, I got a double dose because a couple of my favorite people, you, you turn the corner in the trade show and here's Eric and Tanner and you guys have booths right across from each other. You're just like, Oh my God, I feel like I'm going to be judged. Like, who do you go to first? Do you kind of stand in the middle? But you guys are consummate pros, man, especially to see you young guys, especially when you're associated. I, we're, we're all moderators in that uh, in, in the big Facebook group, Tanner's big Facebook group. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome to see you guys connecting people and then actually showing up because that that's when the really interesting conversations take place. So 100 <laughs> percent. Yeah, no, it, it was absolutely incredible. And you're, you're right. I mean, the the way you guys just put on the event was phenomenal. Breakfast alone, it was great breakfast. I, I go I go to a lot of events for like for marketers, um, and very rarely do I get a breakfast that nice. So <laughs> that's awesome. So uh, interestingly enough, uh, John Anderson, uh, he he commented, uh, "Love the PCA." He actually got a scholarship uh, for coming there, and we gave away fourteen scholarships uh, for people to be there. And I hosted a breakfast. Uh, one of those mornings with all the new uh, people there to kind of give them a face and a name. So no, it was great, man. And listen, somebody had posted um, 
uh, just asked, you know, uh, on Facebook, you know, why join the PCA? And listen, as a board member of the PCA and somebody who has benefited from it, you can call me biased. You can call me, you know, this is a varnished opinion instead of an unvarnished opinion. But, you know, you it's pretty hard to argue with my P&L statement that for <laughs> 25 years I was in this trade and I did this alone and I martyred myself. I owned two jobs. I was making great money. I worked 80 hours a week. I owned two $25 an hour jobs. Uh, and that was not a great way to go through life. I was martyring myself. The hockey stick curve started when I met people like you, when I met people in the PCA, they took me under their wings and actually gave me the perspective I needed to be a better person, a better leader, a better business owner. And it's, yes, there's tons of videos on overdrive. There's free industry standards. There's painters training. There's business accelerator. For God's sakes, there's even discounted health insurance now that you can recoup the price of your membership instantly. Huge. But that is that is not near the value you're going to get from connecting with the people at the expo, the members there. And literally, you'll have a $20 million painting company put their arm around you and say, here's two books you might want to read. And feel free to email me anytime with any questions you have about job costing. And that's what happened to me. That's I was just like, <sighs> yeah. that alone is what makes it worth it. I go to a lot of events for marketers and you know, one of the things somebody said to me that always stuck with me, this was a, a $5,000 event. The ticket was five, was 5k, a lot more than some of these painting conferences. And, um, what he said was if we didn't have any speakers, if we didn't have any of the events or round tables, but you paid $5,000 just to be in the same room as some of these people, could you get that value back out? And everybody was like, absolutely. Yeah. And like, that's where the value is, is connecting in some of those people. And exactly those, those tips, those tricks, those, Hey, I've been there. I've done that before. Um, it's, it's huge. Yeah. And I won't, uh, I won't drag this out any longer than we have to, but the PCA means a lot to me. And that's why I, I decided to give a lot of time back to it because, uh, I see the way that my family benefits from it, that all my employees benefit from it. And if you, if you ever want a, a good argument, you know, zero to 40 people, uh, in five or six years and more free time, more time, uh, more time, freedom, more money, freedom, and more happiness. And so, yeah, I'm biased, but for a good reason. So, all right, <laughs> let's, <laughs> man, we're going to go deep in marketing. So everybody get all your, um, get all your marketing, uh, stuff ready to go. But first, before we jump into that, uh, we need a little snippet of an origin story, Eric, uh, Ooh. Up, went to school. Tell us, tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, I'll try to give the uh, the shortest version possible. Um, obviously, I'm a, I'm a young kid, so uh, I went to school. I was I was a wrestler, if you can tell by my ugly cauliflower ear. Next uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, I went to school mostly for wrestling. I went to the University of Buffalo, a Division One school, for a couple years. Um, really, really rough culture. Uh, taught me a lot of what I don't want to be in a leader. Um, okay. Transferred to Division Two school uh, for one year, and and along the way through that journey. Um, didn't have a lot of money, was trying to figure out how to support myself without much funding from parents or other stuff. Um, you know, being a full-time athlete, couldn't really have a job. Started getting into the online marketing world, mostly in the e-com world. Um, while at that division two school, started working for a remodeling company and I was running all these Facebook ads for these e-commerce stores. And I was like, why are you guys not doing this? Um, started taking over that side of things for them. And in the first three months, it was the second most profitable lead source in their company. This was a company that did a good bit over 10 million every single year. Mm -hmm. um, so at that point, I was like, this is my way out. Uh, and I, I dropped out, started my own company, um, and then just fell in love with the trades um, and then really fell in love with the painting world and how much 
I had little moments where I would, I would coach a client on something that I thought was just simple. And I was like, oh my gosh, there is so much impact I can have here. Um, and just really, really went deep in it. And a few years later, now we're here <laughs> is the short version. So let's let, uh, what do we need to know about Pathfinder marketing? What, what do you do for us? Yeah. In short, um, we do Facebook and Instagram advertising completely done for you as a painting contractor. Uh, so we completely manage that for you. And then we also do done with you coaching on the appointment setting and the sales process to help you actually convert those leads into, into projects. Oh, I love that, man. So I knew the marketing side. I didn't know that you kind of coached up on the sales. Yeah, yeah. That's really awesome, man. We host two coaching calls every single week on Tuesday and Thursday just for our private clients. It's a big group Zoom call because that's what I did for that remodeling company. I was an appointment setter. In a few months, I became the top appointment setter, started managing our little call center of three to five people, started overseeing the marketing channels. Um, so that's what I used to do. Um, so now what we realized is most people don't fail with marketing or home advisor, these lead gen sites, because the marketing doesn't work. Right? There are a few bad apples, but for the most part, it's usually because they didn't have somebody that showed them how to make that lead source work. They didn't have somebody to coach them up on, this is how you set that appointment. This lead's going to be a little different. This is what you're going to need to do here. Um, so yeah, it's my favorite part of my week. Those Tuesday, Thursday calls, like I, I absolutely love it. It's so much fun. So normally I would have this gradual progression to kind of the crescendo question, the one that's on everybody's mind, which is, uh, and we're just going to go to it right away because this is, I, I was looking through Facebook this morning and saw the same thing, which is the common refrain in our refrain in our industry is yes. Great. Eric, we hear you social media. We can pull the lever, spend a bunch of money on it, but we can get leads too. You're right. But they're not serious. We feel like they're a bunch of tire kickers sitting on the couch saying, Hey, I, I wonder what cabinets do cost. So how, how do, how do you help us get over that head trash of that? Yeah. So it's two parts, right? Um, one, there is the conversation of actually like, what does the, what process does the person come through to be a lead? Right. Mm -hmm. And that does determine some, some quality and some of that stuff. But the head trash piece of it is realizing that most, like I'd say eight or nine out of 10, eight or nine out of 10 times when somebody comes and says they have a bad lead, I'm like, Oh, let me call them. That's money. I can book that <laughs> all day long because it, most of the time it, it, it's not that it's just that nobody taught them the appointment setting process. Nobody uh, taught them a good sales process. Right. Oh, and so we're, so we're, uh, as painters, the knee jerk reaction is, well, that was garbage to begin with. There's no way to save it. Nothing you can do. And you would say you could put a little effort towards that and you could probably make it a good thing. Yes. The amount of times I had somebody at, at Thiel's, the remodeling company I used to work for, the amount of times I would have a lead, you know, because we were spending 50, 60 grand a month on marketing between, you know, Home Advisor, all these different lead channels. The amount of times I would call somebody and they'd be like, well, I'm, I'm not quite ready yet. Can you call me back a little later? Hmm. Most people just go, oh, okay, that, that's a horrible lead. The amount <laughs> of times I would book that appointment and our designers would sell it. I mean, just I, I'd book eight out of 10 of those all day long. Like, <laughs> interesting. And, and when, when people think about like a lot of numbers are tossed around in our industry. And for me, it's kind of like the, the three most, the three most interesting numbers to me are always how many leads, how many estimates, how many book jobs. Um, and I honestly, you know, we have, we have benchmarks in my company for that, but it's only based on our data set and you get some wild variations out there, you know, in the, in the painter community, what should, how should we be thinking about you, the next part of this is ROI, but how do we think about when we spend money on marketing, 
there's a certain amount of leads that come through, a certain amount of leads get turned into estimates, a certain amount of estimates turned into sold jobs. What is your thinking about those and benchmarks and what, give us some perspective on that. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. I take a very unique stance on this. You'll hear a lot of marketers talk about cost per lead and cost per appointment and all that type of stuff. Um, the most important thing I focus on over everything else is ROI, cost of marketing percentage, right? Mm -hmm. Money in, money out. Um, we've seen a lot of times where, you know, like the remodeling company I used to work at, we had some lead sources where it was two, three, four hundred, five hundred dollars a lead. That's insanely expensive. Yeah. But we booked ninety-five percent of those on appointments, and our close rate was super high on them. So it was at like a seven percent cost of marketing. Well, oh, I, as yeah. a as a remodeling company owner, as a painting company owner, I will pay as much money as possible to that because I'm making a lot. So I look at cost of marketing percentage first. And then if mm. that is not where I want it to be, or I want to improve that or change that in some way, then I'm looking at my other leading indicators. Cost per lead. Is my advertising not good? Cost per appointment, right? Is my appointment setting process not good? Or maybe the lead's not quite what I need. Close rates. Does my sales process need work? Those are other leading indicators to then help me change my cost of marketing percentage. That's typically how I break things down with our clients. I'm going to throw some numbers at you. Uh, you give me sniff test. And because this is a unrefined data set uh, that I've only been working on. We've talked about this before that I'm yeah. I'm sort of like meandering my way through marketing, doing experiments the best way I can. Um, my internal benchmark is about three and a half percent of revenue for marketing. I have seen as much as 10 or 12 percent for a company, depending on, you know, what their strategy is. And, you know, if I can get one hundred and fifty bucks per lead, that to me is like. If you didn't put that much effort in, that kind of feels good. What are your what are your knee jerk reactions to those two numbers? Yeah, 150 doesn't doesn't scare me as a total out of pocket cost for a lead for for a good lead. Um, that that doesn't scare me at all. That sounds about right. Um, when you say three and a half percent, is that total company revenue or like per channel? Total total company revenue. So yeah, million dollar business, thirty five grand in marketing, which is incredible. I, I know you and I were talking about that like the first event we met at, which is like very very lean. Um, yeah. I think a big spot where people go wrong in the industry is, uh, you know, I hear everybody hears that 10% cost of marketing, right? And a lot of people think, oh, well, I'm a million dollar company, so I'll take 10% of that. And that's what I should spend on marketing. Um, it should be total company revenue. But what that doesn't account for is word of mouth and referrals, which is what most painting companies mostly operate off of. Yes. Um, so where I like to break things down is I want to have 10% cost of marketing per channel. Right. So I want 10% cost of marketing with Pathfinder, 10% cost of marketing with Home Advisor, 10% cost of marketing in my Google ads or whatever. And then you're going to have your word of mouth and your referrals and all that other stuff in. And you'll end up somewhere, give or take a little bit, around 5% typically, if you're a good painting company with some solid word of mouth, is typically okay. what we do. So <clears throat> I don't think I fully understand the 10% cost per channel. How does that then help explain that a little more? I don't think I'm grasping that concept. Yeah, yeah. So essentially, I want to track spend and revenue per channel. So I know where is it most effective to put my marketing dollars. I spent, mm -hmm. you know, $1,000 on HomeAdvisor. I got 10,000 back, 10% um, cost of marketing. I spent 1000 on Google, but I got 20,000 oh. back. That's a 5% cost of marketing. I want to spend more of my money on Google. Right. Oh, okay. So, so really my number is an aggregate number and, and you, you break it down by channel saying, okay, we're going to everywhere where we spend a marketing dollar, we, we now want to just calculate that number per. Exactly. I want to see, I mean, I think total company revenue is important, um, yeah. but it doesn't tell the full story. I want to know, especially as the company starts scaling, as you have three, four, five, six marketing channels, I, I want to know which ones are the most profitable. So that way I know where to put more money into, right? 
Yeah. Okay. So we, so we are talking the same thing because, you know, when, when we talk about like my experiments, yeah, we, we have lanes for each one of those things and we track, you know, and I track those three numbers, you know, cost per lead, cost per estimate, cost per job. And that's how we determine which one to kick off real quick, or at least devote our time to now. So no, I like that very much. Um, all right, I'm going to go through and we already got a whole bunch of questions. That'd be a lot. <laughs> a uh, hot topic this morning. So uh, good comments about the PCA, lots of familiar faces. Hopefully Jason Parrish doesn't jump jump on here and take over the chat again and try to turn this into some meme generator thing here. Brad Ellison, our good friend, Surf Prep Pathfinder. Also, you got some good swag, dude. You you hooked me up at the expo. I got these beautiful uh, golf shirts. I got these. I mean, I, again, when I come home from these events, my kids they attack my suitcase because I bring <laughs> back all this stuff. And my actually, Aaron uh, Aaron Steininger who commented number one rule, never mess with a guy with cauliflower ear. I had one of my favorite sunlight house painting shirts from him. My daughter is wearing that as a nightgown now. And I can't, <laughs> her, so it's, uh, it, it, you guys make good shirts. So, uh, I found okay. out we need more hats next time is what I found yeah. out. <laughs> All right. Uh, John Anderson, any tips for singling out specific niche marketing prospective clients, uh, churches, synagogues, uh, golf and country clubs. Hmm. Um, that's interesting because that I, I tend to put that more in the commercial realm. Um, yeah, which, yeah, in that sense, like it's it almost becomes more B two B, right? Um, mm. as, as weird as it sounds, like if if that was me and I was going after that, I'd be cold calling, I'd be door knocking, I'd be sending letters, I'd be e cold emailing, I'd be doing all that stuff as almost like more of a B two B sale style. Well, and honestly, um, that's that's the easiest way to single out. You Google map golf courses in your area, you couldn't get a more comprehensive list. The harder thing to do is I'm looking for, you know, my typical client is a woman between, you know, 47 and 65 who has golden oak trim and a house that's 18 years old and they're both <laughs> professionals. Like that's a little harder thing to dial in because you can't Google map that stuff. So honestly, yeah, that is more of a B2B and that's a super easy list to compile. Um, but yeah, I, I like the other stuff. Um, maybe that maybe that segues good into when you do want to find something very specific. I mean, nothing is more hotter on the painter internet now than I want to take golden oak cabinets and just paint them. All I want is cabinets like that. Mm -hmm. How how do you, is this something you help with? And if you do, how do we do it? Yeah, 100%. Um, I'd, I'd say that's a big portion of the people that come and work with us. Um, and and really the the power of these online platforms now, I mean, everybody knows it, right? How, how specific you can get with, with Facebook and Instagram. Um, how specific you can get with Google. T to give an example, I give this example a lot, and I'm I'm sometimes surprised at how many people are still shocked by this. But to give an example, when Facebook and Instagram ads are run the right way, right? Big boy ads are done the right way. Um, <laughs> we can run an ad to somebody that like, Nick, where your shop is right now, we could run an ad to somebody that lives on that street, not the street over, not the zip code, but that street specifically, um, that is a female that is 42 years old, not 41 or 43, but 42, that is married, that has a kid that's six months or younger, uh, that really likes golden retrievers, um, <laughs> uh, and recently went to the Walmart down the street. That person yeah. may not exist, but if they do, we can show an ad to them. Um, we'll never need to get that specific to find the person that is looking to get their cabinets painted and has a decent income and can afford it and is serious, but that's how we can get that specific. 
No, I love, and, and I, again, I dabble. I, I'm just a debutante in all this. I get in there and I mess with some of those things and capture the experiments, but no, uh, you, you have a much more robust understanding of this. And yes, it is a weapon that I don't think people understand can be utilized to that degree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Boosting a post doesn't quite get you there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Noah, Noah Tucker, the support you get from Pathfinder, two calls a week. Awesome. So great compliment there. Yeah. Um, also, one of the one of the things that I think a lot of painters feel really great about is they take a before and after picture, they boost it for something, and then they see some analytics come through on the bottom and they're basically pumping their fist. And to me, it's like, as somebody who dabbles in the analytics of all this stuff, you can you can um, falsely aggrandize yourself <laughs> with some of these numbers that come across. I got so many impressions. I got so many views. Well, when you when you actually look at what those are, those can be entirely meaningless or they can be meaningful. So what what are your what are your yeah, thinking? Exactly. No, I, I completely agree. Um, you know, eyeballs in and of themselves are worthless, right? Um, we need people that actually inquire. Um, right. So to some extent, yeah, I mean, we, we get that question all the time, even from our clients, We're like, well, how many impressions did my ad? And so again, I'll be like, I'll be on, I can tell you, but I'll be honest. I really don't care. Uh, <laughs> I care how many people came through, right? How many people clicked in from the ad? How many people from the ad went through the whole system and was actually like a quality opportunity from there? How many appointments did you get set up? Like, those are kind of the, the key metrics. Um, and I, I agree. We see that a lot where people are like, I boosted this post. I got, you know, 2000 impressions and it's like, great. How many leads do you get? I don't know. How many projects did you land? Probably nothing. And it's like, well, congratulations. You, you burned a hundred bucks. Impressions. <laughs> exactly. All right. Let's see what we got here. Oh, we got Cynthia Reynolds. Oh, thank you so much for the compliment. I really appreciate that. We got Valentino from South Florida. Yes. Valentino is one of our clients as well. We love Valentino. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh man, you're stacking up the compliments this morning. Aaron too. Yep. Aaron, yep. <laughs> awesome. with us for like a month now, just crushing it. I love it. So uh, he all caps results. I'm a fan of results, Eric. <laughs> is, so, uh, yep, we got Dave from uh, British Columbia. Good to see you. All right, let's see what we got here. Uh, here we go. Hello from Florida. What type, if any, shifts do you see in the culture and how people are finding contractors in the next few years? Hmm. Do you want to take that one first, Nick, or you want, you want me? To yeah. So uh, we've been addressing this for about four years now, and uh, it starts with, um, you know, <laughs> look no further than Amazon one click, right? So people, people like, I would say between five and 10 years ago, people did not trust putting their credit card on a website and leaving it, the information there. And when they ordered something, they weren't really sure if they were going to get it. And now do you ever question whether your information is safe and whether you're going to get a package from Amazon. No, you do not. It's all there. So in thinking about how we do services, um, I, I am, uh, I, I am, I learned by arguing. I'm always willing to have my mind changed, but I know some people argue vociferously for having a human answer a phone, but honestly, uh, I don't necessarily want to talk to a human when I'm putting in an inquiry or something. I want some baseline data. And if I'm interested, I will then talk to a human about something. And so I set up a website where we don't have a phone number. You have to go through there. We have to capture some information just to get some things from you. And then you start up a crazy concierge level machine machine that will take that. But not from the first second we talk to you. I mean, we are literally going to get 2,500 leads 
2,300 leads this year. And if we have a 22 minute phone call with each one, that is, uh, yeah, that, that is something that we cannot withstand. So we try to make it as easy as possible for people to do that, uh, connect via their phone. And uh, we've been doing virtual estimating for about four years. And that's honestly been a big surprise where I thought I was going to basically take over the Minnesota painting market because of my virtual estimates, especially when uh, COVID hit and we legally couldn't do some of that stuff. And it turns out that people aren't interested in those. They want that human touch. So uh, yeah, but I, I just understand that people want quick information. And if they want to take the next step, they want a crazy concierge level service. And that's kind of what we've done. And, and I think people will. Google ads are important. Websites are important. Social media is important. And nowadays, it's not like, hey, I got all this cool social media and a website. Now it's like, that's that's the entrance fee. Like you're not even gonna be findable. You don't, you're not even in the game wearing a jersey unless you have all that stuff. So yeah. your thoughts. Yeah, and, and to to build off that, I, I 100% agree with everything you said. Um, to build off that, that process Nick's talking about, that also is, is what determines a lot of times the quality in your lead in that level, right? We talk about it a lot from somebody going from, Oh, look, I saw this ad, this something for a painting company to them being an inquiry you call, right? How much friction is in that process? Mm, That's yes. going to determine the quality, right? So a lot of people, Nick, you and I were talking about this at the expo. You're like, man, everybody I got from Facebook was just a bunch of tire kickers. Not that good, right? With Facebook, a lot of times people are creating these little lead forms where it actually autofills their information. Yes. Right. Where, of course, it takes them two seconds. They're, they didn't have to put in any effort. They didn't have to go through any process. They're, they're going to be more of a tire kicker. So we do the same thing. We do it a little differently. <clears throat> Instead of just having a lead form or something for them to fill out, we send them over in a messenger. We have an automated messenger system that they go through that has a back and forth conversation with them, ask them a handful of questions. We're intentionally putting not too much, but a little bit of friction in there, right? That one is instantaneous, that customers are going to want, just like you were saying, and also is going to raise that quality of the lead and get some of the junk to, to filter themselves out. Um, so it's how that because when when we recruit people because you know you can go on indeed and F facebook is is the worst for this when you apply for a job on facebook it will autofill you can autofill 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 mm -hmm. get conversations with people who applied for your job that say who are you again what kind of business are you so i love that so in in our process I, i'm glad this is borne out there's deep wisdom in this which is there's somewhere between two and four little hurdles where they just have to do something to take the next step. Because if that's too much of a barrier, great, self-select out. We won't even know you exist then. But it's not because you're a bad person. It's just because, listen, there has to be some little thing where you do something in order to get to the next step. And I like that a lot. Yeah, it's huge. All right, let's keep going down here. Oh, man, we got a whole bunch of good familiar names here. Matt Orsino, uh, Jamie Burkhard. We're all a big fan of Jamie. Jamie's mm -hmm. awesome. Uh, da, 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 da. Let's see what else we got here. John Anderson, he asked about the golf courses and the churches. Uh, success with cold calling and will continue. Um, so interestingly enough, uh, you mentioned B2B. When, when, when we go hunting general contractors or big remodelers, this is not send them a flyer or even an email. This is a relationship-based thing. So really, it's like calling, setting up meetings, coffee, lunch, something else. Yep. This is not a transactional thing. When you go business to business, my impression is they have a problem, you're a possible solution. They may not even care what kind of uniforms your painters wear, what kind of paint you use. It feels more of like a, I have a problem. If you can solve it for me with the least amount of friction, good. And that's predicated on a trust relationship. Yeah, 
100%. Absolutely. We, we see a lot of our guys that do residential and commercial is that commercial side, that sales cycle is a lot longer because it's a lot more relationship based, just like you were saying. Um, and I think just knowing that helps a lot of times, right? Oh, man. Love it. All right. Let's see. De -de 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 -de. Looking for some questions here. Oh man, I'm weeding through all the nice compliments and everything God. else. You know, you know my uh, my policy on compliments. We don't give compliments to people's face, Eric. You're getting a lot of compliments here, especially for marketing guys. I know how you guys live and breathe off this sort of. Oh, thing. I love it. I, I love my words of affirmation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes me very uncomfortable, and I, I shy away from them. So, uh, Dave Pine, uh, somebody I oh. know and love, also has great shirts as well that uh, me and my kids wear around. Morning, guys. How would you market for employees as opposed to job leads? So I, I love this one. I was just talking with somebody about this the other day because they were asking like, do we run hiring ads for our clients? And we have for a couple that need it, but most of the time um, we can completely fix the amount of inquiries and the, and the people they get through applying just by changing like the copy in the ad, right? If you think about what we're saying here, it is a hiring ad, right? So when we say, hey, uh, we're looking to hire a painter. We're paying this much. I, I need you to be on time and have reliable transformation and don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. Please apply. That doesn't sound very sexy. It's not something I want to apply to. So yeah, this is something we actually did on one of the coaching calls. We kind of did a two-part series, like a mini masterclass. And then we actually broke down and critiqued uh, a couple of our clients ads that they wrote. And we, we have to sell the, the job, the position in that post, right? We have to talk to those emotional things, right? Why would they want to come work here. And if you go look at my profile, just Eric Fosnot, you can scroll down and see some of the posts I've made. It's the same hiring framework, right? Mm -hmm. um, so most of the time we can completely fix the inquiries people get and um, like the quality too, we'll put a do not apply if section, right? Which will hopefully weed out a bunch of that um, and just post on regular platforms, Facebook, Indeed, that type of stuff. Uh, just changing the way we actually market and talk about the position. You know, it's wild that there is this crazy limiting belief and this kind of like um, um, there's a horrible mindset in our industry where we are willing to go through great lengths to hire Eric to find us jobs. Do a Facebook. We're boosting. We're paying. We're doing six different sort of ways, uh, paths of getting people. But yet when it comes to getting our own employees, we're like, listen, I put a free Craigslist ad up and nobody came barreling down my door. What do you want me to do? Um there needs to be a budget and a time allotment to all that stuff. You are selling yourself to humans, just like the way you're selling yourself to clients in that regard. And yeah, it's, it's not dissimilar at all. <laughs> 100%. And, and similar, um, you know, I had this thought earlier when people were, when the question about how do we see culture and stuff changing on a mm -hmm. separate note. And, you know, Nick, you and I have talked about this a lot too. I see culture and stuff changing a lot from the employer side, right? As we had, this pandemic and people working from home and all this stuff, the, the way we treat our team and, and that type of stuff and the way we we grow a company and the team and how we go about that, I see that changing massively um, as well. You know, it's really interesting. Uh, so I was getting, uh, last year, I was getting diminishing returns with my recruiting. I had about five major rounds of recruiting and I was kind of like putting in more effort and just getting less results. And finally, I started looking into all the surveys, reading all the articles about, you know, the pandemic and how we all think about uh, change, uh, work differently and the great resignation and, and, and all that crazy stuff where people leave in retail and food service. And finally, I realized like the data has been there for years about what people really want is development, connectedness, coaching, education, mm -hmm. a path forward. 
all the surveys have been the same. Nothing changed during the pandemic, except now employers had a come to Jesus moment when all these people started quitting and not working for them. All of a sudden they're like, oh man, we found out about this awesome thing. We're going to actually like empathize with our employees and like them and spend time with them and take care of them and like educate them and develop them. And they think it's this new and novel thing. And it's been there all along. We just got this like come to Jesus moment. Uh, there. So no, I, I I believe that that accelerated probably eight years of natural progression towards the empathetic employer, the somebody who devotes time to their people. But uh, it's not a secret, and it and it didn't come born out of the pandemic. It just got accelerated, I believe. So yes, absolutely. Our team is mostly you know I'm a I attract people like me, so our team's fairly young. the The oldest person I have on my team is is 30 years old, and uh, that's the number one thing I hear on interviews is people are they, they're seeking opportunity more than anything else. People will take, a. have had multiple very talented people take a pay cut to come work yeah. at Pathfinder just because they are hungry for the opportunity more than anything else. And they, they want experience, they want a team, and they want to know that there's something exciting and fun in their future. And, and like you said, I don't even think people care what it is they're doing as long as it's exciting and inspirational and they feel that it's something that will like grow them as a human. So exactly. Good thing. Oh, Shane Vork. Love Shane Vork. Any thoughts on LinkedIn marketing? Is it similar to Facebook and Instagram or should we not waste our time? Um, if you're commercial, I, I, I would dabble in it. We haven't done a lot on LinkedIn, um, but we, we've done a little bit with Pathfinder from the B2B space. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm sure you can make it work. All marketing works, right? It's a big misconception. All marketing works if done correctly. So I'm sure you can. Um, but if you're mostly residential, I, I would not spend a lot of time there unless you've exhausted all your other channels, you know, unless you're a multi, multi-million dollar company doing the stuff that everybody has already proven works, Facebook, Google, et cetera. Yeah. It feels like there's much more low hanging fruit. Like if you're going to devote 10 hours this week to, to creating a lead generation system, it'd be fine. But if you're not doing the other stuff, I think it, your time is better spent. Um, exception might be, you know, like when we headhunt um, designers, and general contractors for new construction or something like that. And you're in the residential space. If that's a goal of yours, not a bad place to look, but yeah, B2B yeah. is, is where you're going to win with that. And and I believe Shane is, is commercial. So yeah, that would be a, yeah, that's yeah, a good thing. And like you said, all marketing works. Uh, do you have a system to support it? And are you intentional about it? And uh, yeah, do you have a system uh, around it? So, all right, Aaron Muncy. Aaron, again, I love it. Sales and marketing is a numbers game. 50% SR is great for proposals. How many leads do you need to get in order to get 100 estimates and land 50% of them? A lot of rejection. Yeah, so that that's one of the things that, you know, people think that if they only get half of the leads uh, or, or estimates uh, for people to say yes, or even if they get three quarters of those, they still feel like a failure because it's like, well, why can't you get all of them? But the feeling is, I don't know if you're ever going to get all of them, right? And if you are, you might be doing something wrong. <laughs> and, and that's a lot of of that sales process, right? And you know, yeah. Nick, you and I talk a lot about like limiting beliefs, and this happens a lot on those coaching calls where sometimes people real think they're doing bad, and I break down their numbers. I'm like, dude, you're closing at like 42 percent. You're at like a seven percent cost of marketing. Like you're doing fine, um, but they've never had it. A lot of people haven't had somebody to kind of walk them through that and coach them through it. And, yeah, yeah. It, it's really interesting, too. And and the the one data point that I can give about all this stuff when you start thinking about these numbers is you have to understand that a certain amount of your work is going to come from word of mouth, referral, past clients, you know, things like that. And I think I think I was able to support about four or five painters 
on just word of mouth. And then we actually had to go to, you know, paid marketing, this and that. So, um, and that interestingly enough, we we are still, I tracked last year's marketing, I think 51 or 52% of all of our completed work was stuff that I didn't have to pay for. So I consider that very high, but there's not a great benchmark in our industry for this. Like you can anecdotally ask another painter, but you're like, I don't know. I don't know if your numbers are robust. Maybe this is a feeling based thing, but uh, well, that's part of the problem, right? I mean, with word of mouth is, I mean, you have stories like that and like our good friend Tanner, right? He like barely had any for his first three, four years in business, even though he was doing great work. And it's like, it's just, it's unpredictable, unfortunately, right? Yeah. We can't put more money in to get more word of mouth, but if we know Facebook or Google or something is working, we can put more money in. And I mean, but word of mouth is free, right? There's pros and cons to, to all yeah. of it. Well, listen, uh, you know, you uh, take this in the manner which is intended, but you're a necessary evil. We would all want our, <laughs> all of 100% of our leads to come in word of mouth referral repeat clients because not only are they the best ones, they're absolutely free. But I don't know any business that's doing three and a half million dollars worth of business off consistent word of mouth referral, repeat client. At some point, if you want to be a big boy business, a real business, somewhere between, you know, maybe even one to two to five employees, you're going to have to start dabbling in this because you want it. You never want to market when you need it, when you desperately yeah. need it. You have these systems in place so you can manipulate the levers to get an effect instantly. Emergency marketing is not a great thing, I assume. Never, never, never. And, and I have a biased perspective, obviously, because <clears throat> I'm a marketer and everything. But I, <laughs> even with my own company, with Pathfinder, I am terrified when we have to turn off our ads mm. because it means I've lost control. Yeah. Like I would love, yes, for Pathfinder to completely grow organically. And a lot of it has been. We've been very, very blessed and lucky. Um, but I need elements of control. When I'm bringing on another sales guy, like if, if I don't know I'm putting a dollar in and taking these many out, how do I make sure he has enough appointments? That's it. <laughs> We're in a of the estimates, right? Like I need, I am terrified whenever we are overwhelmed and I have to turn off Pathfinder's ads. Um, and it's interesting, especially when you're growing a business too, you know, there's always something that we, that I counsel my leadership team in my own business is the, the teeter totter of inequity is always going to be tipping. And it's usually in a painting business, it's a three way sort of thing where you have painter production and sales, and it always tips in one direction. And if you have a robust data set and you've done some experiments, you can, you know what to do and you can gradually manipulate those levers to bring it into stasis. The problem is when nobody has anything written down and they haven't done the marketing experiments and they haven't tracked people's production or job costing. Now it's just like, you're just, you wake up in the morning, something's wrong and you do something drastic and that's not a great way to do it. <laughs> exactly. exactly. All right. We got, uh, oh, good friend, Jamie's got a great question. for you. I love uh, this question. Jamie has some of the best questions. Um, yeah. So Jamie, Jamie actually came on a retreat with us and boy, that is a deep thinker, man. And uh, glad to have him in our industry. So for your clients, you consider your fees as part of the cost of marketing. Can you share any averages of what percentage of marketing your clients see? Yes. 1000, 1000 percent. Um, when I'm calculating cost of marketing percentage or that ROI, I'm putting everything into play, right? And especially as a bigger company, like if you have a call center, I'm taking call center wages into that, right? Which is something a lot of people wouldn't think of. So yes, I'm looking at total out-of-pocket cost every single time. Um, we personally don't make anybody an offer unless we're confident they can hit at least 10% or less. That being said, like the very, very ugly truth, I'll be very, very real with you guys, which I don't know if many marketers would say this, but not every client hits 10%, yeah. right? That is the truth. We do have some clients that we cannot get a hold of them to help them. They never come to coaching calls. They don't call their leads. 
that is just the very ugly truth. Now we've put a lot of systems in place, like the coaching calls and all that type of stuff to make sure it happens as little as possible. Our mantra on client success is no client will ever fail because of our lack of ability or effort. Um, Mm -hmm. We've made, made sure it's true. Um, But I'd say on average, Jamie, uh, like the people that do put in the effort, right. That try uh, they're at 10% or less. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I know Noah Tucker commented earlier. I think he's usually at like three to 5%, right? Like a, a handful of guys on here. Um, but one of the things, and 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 mea culpa, I will bring this own rebuttal of my own arguments to this thing because a lot of times when when we track three point five percent of marketing, we're not necessarily accounting every hour that I put towards that too. So if yeah. you actually had to account for the owner's time at multiple hundred dollars an hour, uh, that that percentage would change for sure. One hundred percent, and it's harder to do. Like, and I don't know at a, at a certain point. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about it too much at a you know several million dollar company. I know we kind of made that switch at the remodeling company I was working at as we started crossing that like 13, 14 million dollar a year mark. It was kind of right as I was heading out, where it was like, hey, we need to also calculate kind of average wages and software and some of that other stuff we use um, because it was a much, much larger operation and it was getting bigger. But at the very least, yeah, marketer fees, actual ad spend that goes there, which is what usually the only metric people put in it, but ad spend, marketer fees taxes like whatever whatever goes into whatever money goes into that channel is is what i'm putting in there for sure job costing your marketing absolutely (laughs) yeah exactly exactly all right todd's got a good one here having trouble understanding why people fill out interest pages but never answer their turn caller email i'm assuming he's talking about leads what are your most beneficial leads coming from where are your most beneficial leads coming from yeah and i'm assuming he's talking about most serious yeah. Um, I'm biased. I like Facebook and Instagram, which, you know, a lot of people, like we were talking about earlier, a lot of people haven't had good experiences with it because they haven't put enough friction there. So without knowing too, too much, Todd, what I'd guess is that you, uh, we, we need more friction in that process, right? Maybe you're just asking name, phone number, email. We need to ask another question that is a required field on that form of what project are you planning? Tell us a little bit about it. And in an ideal world, how soon are you looking to get it done? Right. Yeah. A few things that make them think about it that maybe when they see that question, how soon are you looking to get it done? Like, I don't know. And they go call their husband and they, they, they don't fill it out. Right. We need We might need a little bit more friction there is what I would guess um, in that example. Get them to interact a little bit. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. My man, Chris Mole from the uh, frigid tundra of Northern Minnesota. How do you prepare for the winter down month? So obviously, you know, just to lay the field properly here, um, we are hyper-seasonal in Minnesota. You could maybe even argue there's uh, sometimes only five good months of exterior painting a year. The natural organic demand for exteriors is way higher because of the smaller amount of stuff. And in the upper United States, at least in the upper Midwest, winters are tough. Christmas tree goes up at Thanksgiving. Nobody wants home <laughs> projects, and but we need to keep a whole bunch of people busy. So how do we, how do we flatten that crazy demand curve from summer to winter? Yep. So the question I'd ask in a situation like this, this is a question I asked a lot at the height of the pandemic is, are there still people in your area that want a painting project during that time? Or has the demand gone to 0%? It's kind of a rhetorical question. The demand never goes to 0%. So it comes back to, and again, I'm biased. I think through things from a marketing and a sales lens, but if I know during the summer, I can put a dollar in and take 12, 13, 14, 15 out, whatever in my marketing, and I've done that all summer long. I know it works. And I have all these guys that are here for exterior working, right? And I'm going into the winter. 
instead of laying those guys off or whatever, I'm going to put, I'm just going to up my budgets, find more of those people, right? Even if it comes down a little bit, even if I'm, I'm putting $1 and taking nine, 10 out, right? Whatever, $8 out, then it'll average out over the year. And you should still be at a very healthy cost of marketing that allows you to keep guys busy, right? And keep culture on your team, all that type of stuff. Um, that's typically how, how we go about it. Yeah. So one of the, one of the things that, you know, over the last question here that I like thought experiments and uh, I was, again, always willing to have my mind changed. But when somebody says like, well, what if your cost of marketing goes to 10 to 20%? And, and I will say, well, what's the opportunity cost? Is it that you have opportunity to do work elsewhere that you can find for cheaper? Or is it, it's going to cost you 15% or you have zero work? Because in my mind, I would say I would rather up my up my marketing spend 10% and actually get some work done and have revenue come in. And you might even make a little bit of profit on it than zero because that's the worst thing. So I don't think people take into account the opportunity cost of this where, yes, if you have a full schedule, great. Find the cheaper marketing and take those. But if it's either get a job or not, I think that's a very easy decision. <laughs> yep. That's something we talk a lot about on the coaching calls, right? People are like, talking, worried about their, you know, am I, do I have enough margin on this project and all this type of stuff? And I use your example a lot, Nick of, well, it depends on where you're at with the schedule. Do you need a yeah. fire sale stuff? Cause you need a job next week or are you out for three months? Well, yeah. my sales process and my appointment setting process and some of that stuff is going to be a little different depending on where I'm currently at. Right. And, and there's so many variables in this too, because there are, I, I basically give away everything in my company, except for a few things that are not helpful at all, which is my master price sheet, uh, my, my estimating guides that I use internally, because the production rates are wild uh, for me versus, you know, a 29 year veteran versus somebody who's only been here for two weeks. And also we have 35 people to keep busy in December and January in Minnesota. You can imagine my marketing and my cost structure is way different than when I was a single person painter. And basically I was booked six months out. I could take any job I want. I never paid for marketing. Things came in, you know, so this is a very, these are the, like you said, it's not just good lead or bad lead. It's sometimes what you do with it. It's not mm -hmm. just what marketing is good, what marketing is bad. It's like, we need to have a deep conversation about, are you growing 60% a year? Do you have a three and a half million dollar business? Do you have 35 employees to keep busy in December in Minnesota? Like these are all craziness that you need to take into account with this stuff. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Every situation is a little different. Now, uh, the interesting thing for, to address Chris Moles thing directly is, you know, listen, we can do whatever the hell we want. And I have a three and a half percent marketing budget that I spend basically all in the six months of winter. I just, you, know, you just take a look at, I mean, that's the simplest thing to do. Like in Minnesota, honestly, we can keep 40 people busy in May, June, July, August, September with organic leads coming in. And then we go heavy, heavy, heavy on marketing in the winter. But what marketing depends on your, you know, what benchmarks you have and the experiments you've done. And we've talked about a lot of my experiments, which is when we're rapidly growing a business, I do not have a perfectly refined marketing system. I do some very rudimentary experiments. And as we grow, I don't have a lot of time to market. So we just take the thing that I can, that I can guarantee mm -hmm. and we do more of that. And uh, I'm really looking forward to refining this marketing process. over the And next that's time. the most powerful thing that I think a lot of people miss is, you know, like you were saying earlier too, they wait till the last second. <laughs> uh, to, to, to try to figure out to market. They're like, well, now I'm only out a week, so I need to market because I got to keep these guys busy. But it's like, if you don't have the data, if you haven't proved it can work, right? If you haven't, like we said, right? Most people don't fail with marketing or lead gen things because it doesn't work. They fail because 
there's some bumps in the road that they never got through. Yeah. So if you didn't already start marketing, get through those first bumps and go, ah, this is how it's a little different and kind of figure that out, you're, you're screwed regardless. Or you're one, doing one really, chance. One really interesting metric that we started um, uh, tracking as we, as we have more bandwidth to do this is how many estimates close the same week and then mm. the, the amount after. And again, this, this proves that point, which is, you know, I, I think it's only somewhere between 10 and 20% of our estimates close same week. So this proves the point that if you want to keep a winter full of work, if December and January are your pinch points, you need to get out there in September and you need to be doing all those estimates and everything then to build that. Because if it's December 1st and you need work December 8th, you will fail a hundred percent at that because it, that the majority, the vast majority of my people do not close on the spot. They do not even close the same week. You know, when we're selling a $38,000 project uh, for interior trim, that's not something people are like, great, start tomorrow. You're like, no, we need to have a discussion with our family. We might have to line up financing. Like that's a very robust sort of thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So I have, I have one big question about Coupons, discounts, and everything else. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, I would love to pick your. Oh yes. Uh oh, he's got a reaction. I, love this. Uh, I, I I hope that we argue uh, to the point where one of us cries at the end because <laughs> I love this argument. So, all right, let me find another one here. Da, 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 da. Angie Hernandez. How often should a company do marketing? Um. So let me shift the belief here. You as a company are always marketing everything you do. Every single thing, everything I say right now is marketing for Eric Foz and Pathfinder, right? Every single thing, every single post I make, even if it's about my team, even if it's about me going for a run, I'm marketing to you guys. It is literally intentional. I will make a post about me going for a run. So you guys know I'm human and I'm a person and well, every, every single thing I do, what I wear, I'm marketing, <clears throat> right? The more tactical answer to the question is you should always be marketing. And again, I'm, I'm biased. I'm, I'm a marketer, uh, but you should always be marketing in a way. A lot of times your marketing is going to have to be at a lower spend, right? Because you're heavily recruiting and hiring, right? So there will be difference and changes. Your marketing needs are going to change as your company grows and develops and changes, right? Naturally. Um, but it's not like, uh, you know, oh, I'm going to boost a post on Saturday and Sunday. And then, you know, in a few weeks from now, I'm going to, I'm going to do that again. We need a, a constant flow of leads coming through. Right. Even if that lead flow is smaller because we're booked out for a while and we're heavily recruiting and hiring, but we need stuff coming in so that our pipeline is full and we know where the next job is coming from. We can be more selective with what we want. We can make sure we're getting the right job, sticking to our process, getting the right margins, refining our job, et cetera. Right. So great advice, but you know, painters, <laughs> <laughs> painters are very reactionary because we got stuff going on. Right. So I know that you've been in this position. Uh, in, in either previous or current. And I've definitely been in this position. And what if you do need work Wednesday of next mm. week and you've got a couple days to get that done? What do you do? So I actually am not going to look at marketing, ironically. So this is something we do actually before, before a client launches with us, we do what we call a success workshop call. And on that call, we actually go over a few quick win strategies, right? So I'll, I'll give you guys one, ask a painter, live special, right? A little sneak peek. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm there's a few quick win strategies. And a lot of this is actually going to come down to your pipeline management. Okay. So this actually just happened with one of our clients, Russell, a couple weeks ago, he jumped on the coaching call and shared. Um, he had a big project kind of cancel out of nowhere. Uh, weird situation. Now he, next week, he needs a, a four day job, right? So he ran what we call a reactivation campaign. 
right? Where I'm going to go to the people I've gave, given estimates to in the last 30, 60, 90 days or whatever. And it's going to be a super simple message that I just want them to respond and engage and show interest again. And give. I want to be able to give them that last little thing to get them over the hump and fill that spot. If I only got a few days, the odds of me putting out marketing, uh, getting leads through, setting up the appointment and selling it in a few day period is, is very, very low. And that being able to work in their schedule for the dates they're going to get it done, very low. So I'd put out a basic reactivation campaign, right? A text and email to those people. Something super simple. Uh, hey, Nick, this is Eric with Pathfinder Remodeling. We gave, we recently gave you an estimate, but couldn't get you on the schedule. Uh, we have some new things we're rolling out to help people uh, get the best project done possible for a more affordable price. Were you still interested in getting your house painted? Mm. I just want them to respond. Yes, I'm going to call them and I'm going to figure out what held them up. Do I need to give them an extra 5% off to fill that gap? Do, do I need to give them a free color consultation? What do I need to do to get it over the hump and fill that spot? That's one of the many strategies for those, those last minute kind of cancellations filling in the gaps. So what I heard you, and I don't want people to overlook this, which is we are accountable as business owners and, and marketers, not to the process, not to checking a box, but to the result. What I heard you say is you got a reaction and you called. Mm -hmm. Not you got a reaction. Well, I'll just send another text message back. And guess what? I'm going to see if I can't get them on Wednesday. You took aggressive action. That's how you get a result when you want a result. Because you needed it in that case, right? You needed a job by Wednesday in this, yep. in this example, right? So yeah, I always tell our, our guys like consistency starts. If you have inconsistencies in word of mouth, right? Consistency starts with consistent marketing, but then true consistency comes from consistent marketing and good pipeline management. You're absolutely right. All right, uh, final question. God, I could do this forever, man. You know I like <laughs> I have one man. question for you at the end too. Oh, absolutely. Uh, how about, yes, okay. So we'll mine first. First. No, we'll do mine first, because mine is, uh, I want. I, we tease this one and then we'll end on yours. So okay. some guy named Ask a Painter Live said, <laughs> I'd love to hear your opinion about discounting work, coupons. How should we think about this work? Yes. And, and I hope we're at odds and I hope we're at odds so we can get in a crazy argument about this. Oh, that would be fun. Um, so <laughs> whenever we're putting out marketing, Facebook ads, Google ads, LinkedIn ads, whatever we're doing, we need an offer. We do. Whether that's a discount, whether, I mean, even a, a free estimate would be an offer, not a very good one, but it would be an offer, right? We need an offer. We need a reason for them to click now. Yep. Right. It's not, hey, we do painting. Here's a before and after. Call this number for an estimate. Oh my gosh, one of my biggest pet peeves. Uh, <laughs> there's no reason they're gonna go, so what? Right. Always ask yourself if you're building your own ads and you're not hiring somebody like us, so what? What's the what's the reason behind it? Why should they click now? So we do need an offer, whether that's a coupon, a percentage off, a certain dollar amount off, a free this when they get that, uh, etc. We need that there. Here's the thing: that does not mean you should not have. The right numbers when you job cost at the end it is a hundred percent ethical for you to raise prices on an estimate to accommodate for marketing spend right so if i'm running 20 percent off right i am going to account that in and you know if, if you're shooting for 40 to 50 percent like i know a lot of guys are right i'm still going to give the estimate and i'm going to show them you know this is the price and after 20 percent, if you sign with us today this is what you get um and after that 20 percent, that's going to be my 50 percent margin right and a lot of people get hung up like is that right it's completely ethical because you have the marketing expenses as well right you still need to make money as a company and make sure your job costing is in alignment and that's kind of how we look at it boy eric i think we're going to get some ethical pushback here let's uh, go yes <laughs> personally i believe that i would i would so 
the deep seated question when I go out on sales calls that I coach my team on is doesn't matter if they ask about what kind of paint, what kind of shine, you know, any of the process, all they want to know is, are you going to be taken advantage of? And mm -hmm. boy, I would feel bad if I knew somebody was giving me a 20% discount and just raise their price 20%. I would feel like that's not a great way to do it, but I'm open to, I'm open to a discussion about it. Did that. you actually raise your price 20%? And well, here's, so, here, here's yeah, the thought yeah. experiment, I think. Did you actually raise your price 20%? The way I look at it is if I have a word of mouth lead, of course they're going to get better pricing because I didn't pay anything to acquire that customer. And that's actually the frame. If you, if you well, have I'll, I'll push back on that because your internal cost of acquiring that might be different, but the cost, I mean, listen, we, we, we price every job the same across the board. So we might be the one good one out there that doesn't do any of that stuff, but that would absolutely be untrue in my business where we give it, we charge 400 bucks to paint the walls in a bedroom. And some of them are free, the word of mouth. And some of them we pay 200 bucks a lead to get right through. Okay. Right. Through your, through your mailing. No, I, yeah. I get that. I get that. I think as a company scales, right. And as you're spending more and more on marketing, right at that point i'm looking at it and i personally i believe i, I don't i like to think myself as an ethical guy but yeah. uh <laughs> i believe it is it is ethical if i'm not paying anything to acquire the customer i can naturally pass some of that on to you mm -hmm. right if i if i have more marketing costs as my company is scaling or as maybe i'm not getting word of mouth and i need to invest in some of this stuff naturally those prices are going to have to come up if it wasn't already factored in yeah. Right. So maybe, maybe the, the cross reference too is maybe Nick, you were already doing it without knowing. Maybe your pricing structure was already good that it could accommodate for that. And you paying that $300 for that appointment didn't throw off your job costing. I guess if that's the case, whatever promotion you're running, free room, great, do it. If it doesn't screw up your numbers, great. But if your numbers, just like I think it'd be the same example of what we see a lot where you have that solo painter. Right. And they're not necessarily job costing correctly with like their wages as if they weren't the one doing the job. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, it's the same thing. Well, hey, now you realized, you know, as you're hiring people, that that doesn't work anymore. And you're actually going to need to raise your prices to still hit the same margins with other people doing the work. Yep. I kind of look at it the same way, if that makes sense. No, listen, I there's there's a lot to this discussion and it's not black and white. And uh, no. the more you the more you dig into it, when you start talking about unaccounted time, what the actual offer is, what the end value is when you put everything through the filter. This is a discussion where, you know, I like pushing back because that makes for good conversation, but there's a lot to, this is not a do you or don't you sort of thing. Like there are a thousand levers that all change depending on what's going on here. My only, my only way of thinking about this, cause I always like, you know, there's problem solution, problem solution. And you can get stuck in a problem solution loop like this. So mm -hmm. the discount is kind of that thing, but should you or shouldn't you? And to me, it's like, well, listen, if we're good leaders and, and we're thought leaders, we should be able to go three ways up, create a system where we don't need to get stuck in that loop. And I don't, I, I haven't, I'm open to the idea that I'm thinking about this completely wrong, that I don't have perspective. But for me, my knee jerk reaction to all this stuff is great. That's one conversation, but if you go three levels up, if anybody is offering a 10% discount on something, you're giving away 10% of your revenue. Most painting businesses, good painting businesses, professional painting businesses run on a 15 to 20% margin. You're giving away half of your profit. It's not 10%. Most materials are 15% on a project. So you're giving away two thirds of all the paint. You're giving away 
arguably, if you run a good painting company, half of your profit. When you think about it that way, you start thinking about that discount a little bit differently. So for me, what I've always taken the stance of is my marketing spend is three and a half percent of revenue. If you give a 10% discount, you're giving 10% of revenue. So if I were to double my marketing to 7% and get twice as many leads, I still would be 3% less than that discount. And I could have the potential at twice as many jobs throughout the year. So I'm open to the idea that I'm missing something, that that's not a great way to think. But for me, that's like, I don't even care about the discount or the thing. There might even be a better way to just increase your marketing spend and just possibly get more leads. And you're still less than whatever discount you would have given. Yeah, no, 100%. I think it's really how you look at um, the the discount or, or whatever the promotion is, right? Um, and the uh, and the job costing. Because if we take a different example and it was, you know, let's say the offer was, you know, I don't know, you, you've seen painters before. It's like two rooms, get one free or something like that, yeah. right? Well, as that that's a different example of it without just a, a discount or whatever. But I think it depends on how we're looking at it. I always recommend whatever the offer we're running is, um, we still need to make sure we're hitting our job costing numbers. Yes. Right. So um, that, that might be the better conversation about this, which is do whatever the hell you want, but you got to still protect your margins. Exactly. So if I know, you know, if, if I'm Nick Slavic and I'm going and pricing a project and this was one for my, for my mailing campaigns, and I know there was an extra, you know, 300 or so to acquire this customer or to have this opportunity to acquire this customer, when I'm pricing it out, if I'm looking at it and I'm like, cool, 48% margins, I'm good with that. 48% gross profit, whatever. Awesome. Great. Price it. And if not though, if I'm looking at that going, shoot, well, that 10% discount, that puts me at 35%. I'm not okay with that. Well, great. That means you need to raise your prices to make sure you hit your job costing. And that is, that is ethical. You're accommodating for that spend. That's at least my view on it, but it's very, this, great. this, this is something where I would imagine we could call this the discount theory summit where you and I get two other chairs and there's a fireplace and we each have a glass of cognac. And this is a eight hour discussion about where we parse out the intricacies and the, the ebbs and the flows of this conversation. <laughs> this goes into all sorts of wild sort of like client care, ethics, job costing, process, theory about how to, I mean, yeah, this is, yeah, I, I, this is a, this is a way deeper discussion than a 10% coupon you give to a client. <laughs> it is, it is, it is. It's one of my favorite things. And also uh, one of my biggest pushbacks, cause I do like to get spicy on the painter internet sometime is show me empirical proof that that discount actually sold that job when it wouldn't have. And that mm -hmm. is a problem where, you know, as a marketer, you have to have such robust marketing and, and follow-up and analytics I, I looked, I've done discounts before. I have tried these experiments. I'm not coming from this from a knee-jerk reaction. I'm coming from this where when I looked at my data set for one entire winter, I could not prove if somebody forced me that any of that actually made a difference. Mm -hmm. It might yeah, have, it might have been great, but it might not have at all, but I can't prove it. I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a data scientist. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it also comes down to, um, again, how you leverage it in the appointment setting in the sales process, right? If, yep. if I throw a 10% discount out there to get people to click on the ad and then I never mention it again, yeah, probably really won't help. Um, yep. But like that first thing when I'm calling, I'm like, hey, is this Nick? Hey, Nick, this is Eric from Pathfinder Modeling. You were just on Facebook and Instagram and claimed that 10% off discount. Real quick, just to confirm, this is for a home that you own and live in, correct? Boom, I'm mentioning, you're like, oh yeah, that's what, that's right. That's right, they were running this special thing right now i need to right so i'm leveraging it through the entire appointment setting and sales process um to make it known and at that point it becomes a much bigger lever to pull 
Yeah. And, and, you know, Jamie and Zach Osherman, both big thinkers here, they both have thoughts about this stuff too. And this is it. You're going to, I mean, this is a wild discussion, probably should be its own Ask a Painter live show where we bring <laughs> thought leaders on it. But yeah, this is there again, this affects so many things. Uh, the one thing I know from my data set is I can't rely on using the discount lever to make work come. I can absolutely rely on increased marketing spend for that, for just standard sort of stuff. I could probably throw discounts in there, but all I know is that if I need more leads, there's a whole bunch of vanilla marketing that works without giving away stuff on work. So well, yeah. here's the thing I, I would push back on as well. And I don't know what your mailers and stuff look like, but if whatever the marketing is, I bet you if we kept the marketing spend the same, but through a really irresistible offer in there, whether that was a discount or a free this or whatever this or a guarantee, right? I bet you we would see more people picking up the phone and calling for it, more people clicking through whatever that action is, because there's a reason for them to come through rather than just, I've been looking to get my house painted. Oh, Mr. Eric, I believe that you are offering a AB <laughs> test with Facebook marketing on two different things, marketing for my company. I think this might be the grand experiment oh, we've always talked about. For so Facebook, For Facebook in particular, yes, one with a discount and one without, I would have How about, how about this? Uh, I will leave the next action step with you, but I would be willing to do a joint effort where we publicly display the results of this. And I can even show my sales process, how many estimate or how many leads. Yeah, come your sales process is, is different for sure. <laughs> yeah. So listen, if, if you want to propose this grand thing and I will make it public, especially in uh, your and Tanner's Facebook group, I would be happy to do this if it would benefit the industry. So yeah, I'm down. Nice, man. Okay. All right. So you had one final question for me, Mr. Eric. So I've been thinking about this for months. Okay. Uh, <laughs> when we, when we met at your uh, event in Columbus, you asked me a question, which was if I could wave a magic wand and change one thing about the painting industry, what would it be? And when I got home that night, I wasn't thrilled with my answer. I felt like I answered it with something that was something I was experiencing in my current season. Right. And I've thought about that question a lot. And the question changes depending on what I'm currently experiencing in business and in life. So you've seen a lot. You've been doing this longer than me. So I want to flip the question and ask you if you had a magic wand and you could wave it and change one thing about the painting industry, what would you change? Yeah. So I love this question because sometimes it's hard to um, find a problem. And this will tell you, yeah, if you could just change something and, and get a result, it would be so. Um, I give away a lot of my resources, mastering the basics. I give away all the robust sort of things that I use in my company. And um, I, I anecdotally look at some of the things and half of them never get used. Um, job costing template is a perfect example where I can actually, I work with some people on it and we do great things together and they have come to Jesus moments. And then other people, I give them that resource and they never use it. So what I would wave the magic wand over is to change the actual grit level of the paint business owner in our mm -hmm. industry. Success equals information plus grit. All the information is free out there between YouTube, Ask a Painter, the uh, Painting Contractor Facebook group, uh, Corey Leister's Cabinet group, the Business Brush group. I mean, it's all there. It's free. Do people have enough grit? And honestly, if I'm being honest, this is where I get a little harsh with my people, which is this painting industry is is 99% likelihood that it's a one or 1.5 person company. That is not good or bad. This is not me leveling a value judgment, but it is saying that our industry is made up of people who are really painters 
that would be great master craftspeople employees for professional companies, but our industry doesn't have enough professional companies to employ them. Be careful with interpreting that statement. This is not me saying you all are not worthy of owning a business. I'm saying we have been forced to start our own businesses because this industry stinks. There's not enough pros in it. So I wish people, the problem in our industry is not that they know about job costing, standard operating procedures, marketing, things like that, and they choose not to do it. They don't know that they have to do that. And if I could wave the magic wand, I would drop this knowledge inside everybody's head. Here's the eight, eight step process to professionalize your business, proven product, job costing, SOPs, employment, uh, employment resource guide for your people, pay scale, review process, all the things that every other business does in the world. Banks do it. Walmart does it. Amazon does it. Pathfinder does it. They don't even know that that exists. And they're just yep. thrashing at the universe because problems come up. I got problem clients. A coding didn't work out. I don't have any jobs. I can't find employees. How do you schedule? <laughs> I mean, how do you estimate something? All of this is answered with those simple things. It's not that people know about it and choose not to do it. It's that they don't know about it. So one of the things that uh, is my, I mean, the soapbox of Ask a Painter is this, which is the freaking knowledge is all free. I just want to expose people to it. And I'm a firm believer that if you influence the one to 10%, the one to 10% will influence the rest. And that's the, that's the thing. So I hope I, that is probably not a, I mean, I wish we had some, I wish we had, <laughs> I wish we had a water-based primer that stuck to everything, sanded easily and blocked all stains. That's the, that's the painter answer. Sure. That doesn't exist in our industry, but also I would drop this knowledge in people's heads because I experienced time and money freedom because of that knowledge and because I did something with it. And I want that for other people. 100%. The implementation of it. We talked about that a lot at PCA. Does yeah. you know good to go and learn all this stuff you have to implement on it immediately? It's so. all the advice from the, the people who have been to many expos, which is great. Fill your notebook up. Freaking do something when you get home. Like, don't just fill that notebook up and do nothing. So same thing with marketing too, man. You can, you can do that too. It's like, yeah, I wish I had a job. Great. Do something. Do, it, do, it, do an informed experiment. Get some data from it. But don't just thrash at the universe. I need a job. These clients are stupid. Nobody wants to pay for my work. You know, that sort of well, thing. Well, I had this very real experience too where like, you know, as a, as a young kid that grew up in the internet age, right? Um, all the answers I pretty much ever needed to grow a company. And the reason I've learned so much about business in such a short amount of time is simply because it's like, it's all out there. Yeah. Whatever I am trying to figure out or solve, the information is out there for free or I can pay somebody to give it to me, <laughs> get it to me faster, right? Like it is all out there. Um, and that's been one of the biggest things that's changed our business and my life personally. And that's been, that's been great. And, and you, can, um, you can get a lot of different resources. Uh, I assume you offer a very unique, robust, interesting perspective on one thing for marketing. But there's other people out there that might do something else. And there's a world of stuff out there. And you may jive with Eric's personality. You may jive with somebody else's. And I just wish people wouldn't thrash alone at this whole thing. It's so silly, man. Just like we talked about at the start, we'll bring this full, uh, we'll bring this full circle here. Um, I thrashed alone for 25 years, man. And I put my family through a living hell. And then started talking with people, started collaborating. Your natural instinct is to collaborate. Mm -hmm. I was not. I didn't grow up in that. I didn't know that that was a thing. All other painters were the enemy. The second I started collaborating, uh, my life changed. And, and ironically, so, yeah. I went through the same. When I dropped out of school and moved into my brother's spare bedroom, I went, it was a short, much shorter period of time. I went five months with <laughs> you know, just my W-2 job that I turned into a client. And that was it. And then I finally <laughs> paid a couple coaches really got 
involved in the marketing side of it and, and finally started collaborating. And that's when same hockey stick grow. Now nah, I love that, man. So, okay. You get the last word, Eric. Um, how do people get a hold of you? The best way is honestly just to uh, shoot me a DM, uh, Facebook, Instagram. Um, I'm at Eric Foz, F-O-Z-Z. I'm pretty much all platforms except uh, my personal Facebook page is uh, you know, my actual full last name, Foznot. Um, but go shoot me a DM there. Uh, I mean, there's a couple of links, different, different resources we can send you. Obviously, there's the Pathfinder uh, websites and that type of stuff, but my pages are more active. We post different little video clips from coaching calls and you know interviews like this and all that type of stuff like almost every day. So I love it. You are a content creating machine and I appreciate it. So it's not me. It's the team. Our, our designer, Danny is incredible. I couldn't do that. <laughs> so he's got to take credit for it and you're here today. So there we go. <laughs> all right. Thank you for being a resource for the internet. Thank you for helping painters and for the love of God painters. Uh, just start talking to people. This, it, everybody's your friend out there. People will share all best practices. And uh, Eric gives of his time greatly on the painter internet. So um, I appreciate this. Uh, we are both on family time. So let's cut this out. Uh, but thank you, Eric. I really do appreciate Absolutely. this. No, thanks for having me on. Paint Ed podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.